dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning there's no other way to start this episode <laughs> so we're gonna have to talk about the mr t american stereotype is he not somehow less of a... I, I felt like he was slightly less of a stereotype than in the original. <laughs> that's really not saying much. <laughs> no, it's that's not much of a compliment. Um, so I'm sure anybody could put it together even just from this little bit, but what game did we play, Mike? Final Fantasy VII Remake. Which, uh, how have you been abbreviating that? Because I've, I've been writing the whole thing out like a tribe called Quest <laughs> that I saw someone write, you know, FF then the Roman numerals for seven are, and I was like, Ooh, I kind of like that better than the number seven. So I think F F V I I R is the foreshortening that I like. I'm lazy. It's just F F seven R number, not Roman numeral. If I have to write it enough times, I might need to save those keystrokes. Why do we still use Roman numerals? What's a good argument? They look fancy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all I got. They go well with my outfits. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I really like one and two, especially right. Like the two, the big double eye, like behind. So you've got like, you know, doom and then like doom, big double eyes like that. That looks pretty cool. Or like Diablo three, like three eyes, right? Like that's, but then once you get into like M's and C's and that's, that's too much. Well, and that was always like famously on movies with like the MCMX, <laughs> And then it got to 2000. It's like MM. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in the Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl 50 is just an L. Looks really dumb. <laughs> Looks really, really dumb. This is what people came here to hear. So let's keep right. going on this. <laughs> um, so I, I feel almost ridiculous saying this, uh, but we've never done a Nostalgia Goggles episode this close to the game's release. So as of recording, this game has been out for nine entire days. <laughs> yes. So it came out on April 10th. We are recording this on the 19th. Which I think just shows our commitment to, you know, piping hot, fresh content creation. <laughs> yes. Got to chase those views. Yeah. I, I was actually talking with a listener and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to do it in, you know, two weeks. Like, that's not bad. And she was like, uh, you mean nine days? And I was like, oh, huh. Which I think is like a good sign because that means that the amount I've played this game over the last nine days didn't feel like too much. Like, I didn't feel like I was rushing it. I wanted to be playing it. So re remind me how, because normally you start out with what are your nostalgia goggles for this game? What, what's the appropriate question for this time? Oh, so it's, it's, you know, how did this game like come into your sphere, right? Like it's a recent game. Like how did your, your new nostalgia goggles go? Right. So sometimes like, oh, it's a, uh, it's part of popular culture, right? Like a, like a hollow Knight, right? Like everybody's playing that game and talking about it or Stardew Valley or something, but like, I think you mean animal crossing. <laughs> there you go. Right. Much like we talked about with the original final fantasy seven. Uh, this is kind of like a big pop culture thing. Like everybody knows about this. Even if you don't play games, you probably know about this. And, uh, I think speaking for myself, I've been waiting for this since they swore up and down. They weren't going to do it. 
10 years ago. They're like, no, no, it was just detective mode to show how powerful the PS3 is. And it's like, you lying liars whose lying <laughs> mouths speak only lies. You are going to remake this game because it is a machine that will print infinite gil. Yeah, it was hard to stay away from this game. But I, I'll admit, I came into this before I played the demo. I was very skeptical, even though the previews looked amazing. I haven't had a super love relationship with all of Square's stuff recently. Um, I haven't been that hooked into any of their games. Final Fantasy 15, I had like a few days where I was like kind of into it. And then I just, I bailed. I was just like, nah, never mind. I don't care. Yeah. Final Fantasy 15 has a special place in my mind because I've never played that game. And I had a feeling it wasn't going to be right for me. And when you started playing it, you were like, you know, oh man, I'm surprised. I'm like 10 hours in. It's, It's actually still pretty good. And then like two days later, you were like, never mind. Don't bother. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yes, dodge a bullet. But then when people were comparing this battle system, which I'm sure we are going to spend ages picking apart to Final Fantasy 15, I was like, oh, no, no, that's not uh, what I want at all. So like that, like this game I never even played was making me worried for this game I wanted to play. <laughs> I will ask you one question. Uh, did you pre-order this game? Or did you actually like wait till the day of? I pre-ordered four days before it was released. <laughs> well, and digital, I assume. And to get that get that download ready, you know, in yeah. a few days before. Um, <laughs> I don't even know which piece of content I got for pre-ordering, but uh, you, you get, or at least what I got was a the Chocobo Chick Summon, and also a special Sephiroth like PS4 theme. Oh, that's right. That's right barely noticed but yeah (laughs) i i really honestly probably did it uh well i did it after playing the demo and i was like okay i'm in let's do this and then i figured might as well have it downloaded so i can start playing right on the day yeah so i did disc and uh i was talking to some of my coworkers who were like super excited but because of all the things that are happening in the world right now there was a lot of people saying like, oh, my shipment's going to be delayed. I don't know when it's going to get here, so I'm not going to get it on day of. And one person finally asked me like, why did you do a disc? And I was like, listen, man, I don't know. I don't actually want the disc. I don't <laughs> plan on reselling it. I didn't get the special edition. I just, for some reason, I just really like wanted a, f- I wanted the box on my shelf. And I was just like waiting for the wave of like, oh, dude, that's dumb. Cancel it. Just pre-order the digital copy. But I remembered that all my coworkers are also old guys like me. And they were just like, no, nah, dude, I totally get it. Like, <laughs> you just, you want that box on your shelf. Like, it's just, there's no shame in it. Don't feel bad about it. I hope it gets delivered on time. And I was like, yay, not all gamers <laughs> are assholes. <laughs> my last uh, plug before we hit visuals is because of the way like my capture streaming setup is, um, I actually haven't been streaming any of this. Uh, and I literally ordered a capture card that will work with my PS4 so I can properly stream this. So if you uh, haven't followed me on Twitch yet, uh, the library of nonsense that I can make other people sit through is about to be massively expanded. So <laughs> you find links to that stuff in the show notes. Um, but now, now I think we can hit dem visuals. So I just want to say something I'm going to have to bleep out about the graphics. <laughs> All right. Holy sh- this is on seven-year-old hardware and it might be one of the best looking games i've ever seen yeah yeah i mean it's it's uh staggeringly beautiful it's like shockingly not just like the the quality of it isn't just mind-blowing but the 
the polish and attention to detail, the the overall aesthetic, the art style is just it's like holy crap. It's like holy crap, right? It it looks so good that this is the kind of thing that will be difficult to explain to people later. They're going to be like, oh, why were you so excited? And it's like, because it looked like I dreamed it would look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the things they did that they didn't have to do when they did this is they took what was implied to be a big city, a big mega city of several zones and platforms, and they fleshed it out and they took you know, things that were maybe a single screen in the original game and they thought logically how would this actually function if it was part of a community and let's put it somewhere with surroundings and as an art project they really they didn't half-ass it at all and they didn't just like well we just found the old 3d file and we just threw it in our game (laughs) engine like they actually reimagined so like every single space you know, starting at the beginning of the game, even just going into the ma- the Mako, my whole life I've been saying Mako. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> just the way they even reimagined that space. It's just, it was so fresh and I don't know, I, I'm running out of words because it was just so cool. <laughs> so, so fresh, so clean, clean. So if you recall to ages ago when we recorded Final Fantasy VII, uh, one of the things I was lamenting is that the amount of technology that you would need to basically have like nuclear power plants doesn't seem to have permeated out through the world in a way that was believable. And that is something that from the very opening cinematic, they kind of reassured you like, hey, now that we can render the world in whatever level of detail we want, look, there's vehicles, look, there's buildings that are made out of like modern materials with modern construction methods and paved roads and there's electric lights everywhere and people have phones, but they're not going to be a huge feature. So don't get all tied up in that, right? There's, I, I think the phrase you used was like the future is here. It's not just evenly distributed. And what I like about the way they reimagined the world is the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed to poor people as opposed to throughout the universe in general. And the the whole point of the story is that like these rich, you know, technocrats are oppressing the like the under literally the underclass below the the plate in Midgar and the lack of technology like spread throughout like the the changes you would see in the world in Final Fantasy VII are just not there because they can't be, right? They just couldn't render all of that nonsense. And here they can and they did, right? The facility feels like this giant, massive, you know, Mako power plant. <laughs> and you have and you have to like go through rooms that it makes sense. There's like, oh, this control room is over here, and then there's this giant storage vat, and you have to like go down multiple levels. And it makes a lot of things take longer because everything is like realistically sized but it feels so much more realistic that you don't really mind you're like yeah this room would be huge yeah these things would be spread out yeah when you're jumping off of the church it's not a single leap there's like an entire (laughs) rooftop escape scene right and and it's that sense of scale is even more impressive when you consider they don't really phone in even the throwaway visuals. Like if there's a broken down truck on the side, it's basically as lovingly rendered as a vehicle that's supposed to be the focal point of a scene. Yeah, it's it's a tour de force of art direction and 
technical execution. Uh, one of the things, like when you play a, a game that's like a triple A graphical game, sometimes you can feel the game engine like struggling or you see some of the other <laughs> compromises of like five minute load times or, you know, I mean, it's an exaggeration, but this game never seemed like it was struggling to show what it's showing you. The few times you do have a loading screen, it, I don't, rem- I can't remember a single one that was very long at all. Like they give you like 20 pages of tips to flip through. I don't think I ever got through more than like one or two of them for it's like, just kidding. You're back in the game. <laughs> Well, and I felt like the loading scenes are, or the loading screens, uh, usually come when you are transferring from place to place, which typically, until you get to the much later part of the game, you don't really fast travel or anything, which means those loading screens come up after like a massive story beat, right? Big dramatic thing just happened. And so you, as the player, are kind of like, Whew, right so you you're sort of like collecting yourself and that actually makes it feel even shorter because you're just like whoa okay that was you know a big boss fight or a big story twist or whatever and now it's loading into the next chapter and so that actually helps that feel it, i don't think they're long to begin with but that makes them kind of feel even shorter um i do think there's an interesting exception to this uh maybe this didn't happen to you because you're you know super elite but if you die in a battle and then you say restart from that battle that loading screen is weirdly long (laughs) that has not happened to me yet actually (laughs) yeah well i mean good for you but it's it's weird because it's like i'm not changing areas i'm not even moving through physical space like reload me literally where i just was in that same battle and that loading screen is probably about the same length as any of the loading screens but the fact that you're just like okay let's get back into it anytime Anytime. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm ready. Okay. Anytime. And Anytime. there that, you're that feeling was, the cycle time, like if it's a hard boss fight. Totally. And luckily, uh, the handful of times that I have died were none of them were on the same encounter. So it wasn't just like, oh my God, I died again. I have to go through that loading screen to get back to this boss again. Right. So it's, it is frustrating, but they've been mercifully spread out. But every other time they mask. Uh, loading screens behind resident evil doors where it's like oh slowly walk through this narrow corridor while we load the world on the other side of it well we'll talk about that later with (laughs) some of the gameplay stuff my favorite change uh about the visuals is uh compared to the original especially is that they went the metal gear solid 4 route and said "We're, we're just doing everything in engine so if we want the cutscenes to be really beautiful Everything has to be that beautiful all the time. So when you're just walking around town, when you're in a battle, when you're uh, in a in the middle of a cutscene, when you're in like a pseudo cutscene that's just like transitioning two action sequences together, same character models, nothing ever changes. The world is always lit the same way. Everything. Sometimes the camera does dramatic things, but nothing ever feels like oh now I'm in a cutscene. Oh now I'm not. And the difference I noticed is I was probably playing for five hours before I realized. I can put the controller down during a cutscene because they're not going to say like, you know, press circle to cutscene. Yeah. Right. There's, there's not going to be any quick time nonsense or anything, but you don't know that at first, right? When, when the cutscenes are rendered in the game engine, it's like, Oh, they might like call on me. <laughs> like I have to have done the reading because they might ask me to press X at any moment. They do ask you to sometimes answer the characters like prompt in the middle of what seems like a cutscene, And there is at least one instance of that with uh, Don Cornero where 
if you're too slow to answer it, something happens. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I hemmed and hawed on what I was going to choose. And he was like, Aha! and just moved, moved <laughs> on with his plan. I don't, I don't want to reveal anything. but Oh, interesting. I'll, I'm, now I kind of want to replay that chapter just to see it. Because I noticed some of the dialogue is obviously, it's not canned. Like it is in response to whatever thing you say. So part of me wants to go back just to redo some of the dialogue trees. I'll at least look it up on YouTube. So uh, it, it wouldn't be fair to only praise it. Um, let's talk about the way NPCs mouths move (laughs) (laughs) because like a lot of games at this scale, right? PC, Xbox, right? This is, it's, it's not a hardware thing. It is just literally that the animators cannot hand animate the mouths of every random shopkeeper and side quest giver, sorry, odd job giver. So what you end up with is nice looking character models because they're still, you know, they're wearing clothes that are consistent across characters. So they're lovingly designed and, you know, the little touches like glasses or jewelry or whatever, but then they open their mouths to speak and (laughs) they do uh, what I've dubbed like peanut butter mouth where it's like, they're, they're trying to like, they're trying to talk to you (laughs) without, you don't want to stop to get the peanut butter out, but there's a lot in there. It's just, oh, you know what it is? It kind of looks like uh, if you ever carry on a conversation with someone who's like got Novocaine, like they just had a a filling, right? And so their jaws kind of moving in like insane ways. And it's, my problem with it is not, I, I, I really don't fault the animators. I know that they can't have an army of people who do nothing but lip flaps in 20 languages everywhere that the game is localized. But when a character is telling you about like, their daughter is lost in the, like the city that's on fire and they need your help or, you know, this like, Oh, I can't find my dad and I'm terrified. Like something <laughs> super tragic and dramatic. And then they're all like, nah, 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 nah. It just, it really sucks the drama out. Why hasn't some middleware company solved this problem yet for like taking a sound file and saying, you set up your character rig in a certain way that can, you know, here are the different phonemes and like mouth shapes for different vowels. And so, like this middleware will take a sound file from a voice actor and it'll do a pretty great guess at what mouth shapes will match it. Like, I feel like there's got to be some company. I, I think that's actually what's happening. I think it's trying to be, you know, open and round when there's vowels and closed on consonants. But one, that's apparently a way harder problem than it seems like because if squared can't throw enough money at this and bethesda can't throw enough money at this and ea can't throw enough money at this like maybe it is actually that hard because (laughs) they're all just bottomless money pits um but the other thing is i wonder if it would be like technologically unreasonable to try and do that across languages like i suspect that the mouth flaps look probably equally terrible in basically every language the game gets localized into right because it's not just an english problem it's a making mouths look realistic when they're not actually matched up to the real words right and and lip flaps are hard like i i know animators who have like walked me through their process and i'm like oh this looks like a sisyphusian nightmare so <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame them for not hand animating every single shopkeeper it's just when it goes wrong it goes real wrong yeah Seems like something that Facebook and the CIA will figure out because they're going to want to read everyone's lips. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> the only other uh, graphical thing I noticed that was like 
kind of the same sort of problem where they were trying to do something computationally instead of hand animating it and it turned out wacky is uh there's a a scene i won't go into any of the story details but there's a a scene where barrett has to blow up some rocks uh using his gun it's like there's rubble and he has to like de-rubble the rubble with his magical gun arm and when those rocks start flying away as if like <laughs> you're shooting them and they're supposed to be like flying away from just the sheer rain of bullets. Um, doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> like it looks like they're all inflatable rocks filled with helium. Just like even the tiniest bit of pressure and they just go like, Woo! like you expect like Monty Python sound effects. It's not, <laughs> it's so awkwardly. And, and I, like, you know, it's just the math is just wrong. They're too light in the physics engine, they don't respond the way like a heavy stone should. It's it just it just looks ridiculous. It's still kind of satisfying though. Oh yeah, it was fun to do. It looks absurd, <laughs> but you're still kind of like, yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shot them rocks. <laughs> Take that, you rocks. <laughs> so I didn't ask you, but are you playing this on a PS4, not a PS4 Pro? Correct, a regular, regular PS4. So do you know if it looks? Like, is it noticeably different or better on the PS4 Pro? My understanding is most of the time, the difference is pretty minor on the Pro, such that I've never felt like I needed to buy it. And I'm like, I'll get a PS5. It's not a 4K machine. It's it's like sometimes the textures are a little cleaner and you're just like, what? You're charging $400 (laughs) for this? Yeah, I, I seriously considered, because I have a friend who wants a PS4, she doesn't want to pay full price for one, which I get, you know, PS five is right around the corner. And I was like, maybe if I buy a PS four pro, I could sell her my PS four. And then the textures will be slightly. Prettier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't do that, but that's, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, for all the PC master race people out there that we were talking about in the pre-show, like this game looks pretty damn good on, as you said, you know, seven year old hardware. Like this is, this is not just a visual masterpiece, but it's a technical achievement to get this consistent of an experience out of, you know, console hardware. So how well does it work with the gameplay graphically? I had a weird experience that uh, I think is a, like a trick of the eyes, but uh, when you are in combat, I think they may either intentionally or due to processing limitations, they may be dialing back some of the dynamic lighting and shaders just a little bit. And if they're, if they couldn't help it, then they couldn't help it. But if they're doing it on purpose, I think it may actually be to make the characters like pop a little more. Some of the environments are super dark and it kind of helps when they're like a little bit cartoon lighting where the shadows don't quite line up or they're maybe not quite in shadowed at all. They're just like a little bit darker than they would be in bright light, but they're evenly lit, you know, head to toe. And that that's one of those things that if you really look for it, you might agree with me, but it's not like I was never playing and went like, Oh my God, every time you go into combat, it looks like Looney Tunes, right? Like everything, everything feels like one cohesive universe. And you can always tell you know, where's the treasure chest? Where's materia? Cause they give it like a delightful little glow. So like, it's obvious that there's a little rock over there. You know, the, the monsters never come flying out of nowhere and you're like, Oh, I couldn't have avoided that. Cause I didn't know it's too dark and muddy, right? Like everything, 
everything about the visuals is a, a wonder to just behold, but you never uh, trade function for form, right? It always feels like they're still serving actually playing the game. It's not just a, a delightful, you know, every frame of painting. Yeah. And the battles do get remarkably crazy sometimes, but I feel like the inform the information is presented about as well as you possibly could. You have really well-labeled bars on each enemy of their health and how staggered they are. Um, you're never wondering what your own health is or what status ailments you have. If you want to stop and think for a second, you just press X and you get almost complete frozenness to think about what you want to do. Even if you don't have any ATB and you can't actually use one of your abilities, you just want to think for a second, you can pop into that mode. And we will need to talk a lot more about that in the mechanics, but I, while we're in visuals, I love the way that looks. Yeah. The, the you know, total desaturation, everything's almost entirely gray. The, the audio kind of drops away and everything slows down. It looks amazing. That is such an incredible way to take the turn-based nature and put it into, you know, real-time battle. And it just, the second you see it, if you have any games literacy at all, you understand what's happening. You're like, oh, the world slowed down so that I can go through these menus, right? It, it's it's visually very satisfying, but it's also intuitive in what it's communicating to you. Like, you don't have infinite time to go through the menu, but we're going to give you a lot of time. I have to say, you, you mentioned like you never like I can't avoid that battle because you always see where the enemies are. The reason you can't avoid the enemies is because everything comes out of a hallway, and then there's like, well, <laughs> the room opens up there, so I guess I'm going to fight something. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Some of the visual tropes, if I were going to fault, especially when you get into gameplay, is the fact that everything is pretty much through a pipe from point A to point B. And you can make an argument for the way Midgar is built, like it fits into the world. I'm not saying it's like impossible to imagine that could be the way they set up the environments. But um, as a game, it's I am a little sad that it's a lot of hallways, which is kind of modern Final Fantasy. It's like the graphics are amazing and you go down hallways a lot. So I found an interesting way to treat that because I totally agree with you. I'm 100% on board that when you look at the mini map and you're just like, it's hallway after hallway after hallway. And the trick is that in this game, you can turn off the mini map and use like a Assassin's Creed style, go this way compass. And I found I was way less oppressed by the hallways when I didn't have a blue outline of every single hallway that opens up into a room. And that's probably a really stupid way to deal with that problem. But it honestly, I, like I accidentally, because you can cycle through them, you can do compass, mini map or nothing. And I accidentally uh, hit the wrong button and I cycled to the mini map and I was like, oh, maybe I'll leave the mini map on. And I had it on for like 10 seconds and I was just like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. Because it just reminds you that this rich, beautiful world is actually a super narrow corridor. And frankly, I want to live in denial. Like I want to believe I could go over there and climb onto that rubble pile, even though I know good and goddamn well that I can't, right? <laughs> but like, if you have the mini map on, it's just constantly reminding you, like, you can't go over there, you can't go over there, you can't go over there. But if you use the compass, it lets you live in denial. I mean, <laughs> there's no yeah. other way to put it. So I'm, I'm totally with you that, like, all modern Final Fantasies have this problem. But I think it's interesting that 
as far as I know, this is the first one. I don't know if Final Fantasy 15 did this, but this is the first one I've played where you can like kind of pretend you don't know that. Yeah. Well, at least 15 had a proper overworld where you could drive in cars with your bros. But <laughs> the one spoiler I don't feel bad about saying is that this remake stops at the end of the Midgar part of the original game. And I, you know, I won't comment on other major changes in case someone still wants to check this game out. It's only nine days old as of recording. I do wonder when, if and when, assuming it succeeds wildly and they make more of them. And, you know, seven years from now when we get to play the next one, will they still enforce the hallways? We'll be like, I'm going through the mountains, hallways in the mountains. Or <laughs> And what would that change about the game design? Which, you know, isn't a question we're here to answer today, but I do wonder... Because I do think they built the game systems and the story and the progression of this game to match the hallwayness. I just sometimes wish that wasn't the only mode of traversal. Yeah, and th- this is straying close to mechanics, but I, I've the way I've come to start thinking about this and in, in related to kind of like hide the map so you can live in denial is what I want from a game that is very story driven and linear, not just in the, the story sense, but in the literal, you have to walk in this straight line to go from point A to point B kind of sense is have a visual panorama that is, you know, feels lush and it's like, Oh, there's people living over there and there's, you know, monsters over there and there's stuff in the background, but give me a story or an objective so compelling that I never want to go over there because the thing I need happens to be down this hallway and that hallway happens to be the only place I can go. And we talk about The Last of Us a lot on Nostalgia Goggles and The Last of Us does this probably better than any game I've ever seen. There's a lot of places, and granted that it's not a hallway simulator, but there's a lot more you can see in The Last of Us than places you can actually go. But I remember caring about that literally never because... You are pulled forward by the narrative. You are pulled and pushed, right? There's there's narrative pulling you by the the tie and pushing you on your back. Like you just never want to go off and wander through the woods because that's not where the story is. So like I, I think that's a thing you can do to kind of balance out the the visual depth that Square has always cared so much about is yeah, you're never gonna be able to fully render a world this rich if it was 25 times the size, right? Like it, that would just be an, an unreasonable task. A lot of things need to be plywood fronts and Hollywood sets and they look great from the outside, but you can't go on to the other side or you can't look at them from the wrong angle. And the way to make those visuals not telegraph that they are plywood sets is because that's not where your attention should be. You should appreciate them and then be drawn to the end of the hallway. So I'm, that's to me the only real solution because there how how else would you make a game that was looked this detailed and actually be able to go into all those places you'd end up with skyrim yeah and i was gonna say it's not that i want skyrim and last of us is a great reference i was gonna mention half-life 2 as another extremely linear game that you don't as often feel you don't want to feel the rails yeah you haven't watched devs on hulu yet have you no, but I have seen you talking about it in chat. Well, anyway, there's there's a lot of talk of like 
they build a quantum computer and they can literally predict the future because they have all of the data of the universe. And so it's like a predestination kind of philosophical thing. But it's like they talk about like you don't want to feel like you're on rails even if you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm telling you, if you've been playing with the minimap on, turn it off. Just use the compass and it, it really helps you it helps you, you know, believe in the plywood fronts and it's, it's kind of awesome. And I've gotten lost a few times where I had to open the map, but I won't switch to the mini map because the mini map is, 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 is the truth, right? But opening the full map screen lets me continue to live the sweet lie. <laughs> I'm trying to think any other visual stuff. I, I do appreciate the, you know, this isn't by any means unique to modern games, but the whole screen turning blood red when someone's about to eat it is a really helpful reminder. Um, it seems like they really they thought through a lot of the quality of life. Like you don't feel like the game's like gotcha. You you weren't paying attention to stat forty seven. So it's mostly pretty user friendly on the the visuals. Uh, so the only other visual thing that I think is was surprising to me is how dialed down the spells are. Like I really expected magic to be way more bombastic and over the top and it's it's not it's actually at the risk of sounding like an idiot realistic looking right (laughs) like you if you're gonna light someone on fire you actually don't need all that much fire for it to be painful right if you're the the healing spells are like a little green like glow but they're not it's not this like whoa you've been healed right like everything is like gorgeous but it's it's very like modest, like all of the spell effects are kind of humble. The, the summons are visually super over the top. Uh, that's to be expected. Um, the limit breaks are fairly, you know, choreographed and directed. Um, but I, I was actually a little surprised like, Oh, the, 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 the magic is just like, you just, okay. Like I cast a spell and it's not bad. And like, I'm, I'm really not complaining, but I was expecting like so much, Oh, and I'm sorry, The this has to be mentioned because this is no question the single greatest graphical change they made. You can see the materia in everybody's weapons. Yeah, that is cool. It's so cool. Like, it's so corny and changes absolutely nothing, but I just love it. I love that you can see the materia in Cloud's sword and in Tifa's, you know, like the wrist part of her gauntlets and in the gun on, you know, Barrett's. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, literally slotted on screen. And definitely notice when, you know, anytime you're crawling through an, a, a part where the camera really pulls in close. And I would, I just, like, the game didn't, like, highlight, like, look at what we did. We put materia in the what <laughs> Like, it just was one of those details you discover by looking at the game. And you're like, oh, they dialed it in. Oh, and th- they actually, I'm so glad you said the camera because this is something I, I meant to throw in my notes and I totally forgot. Um this game has uh, two cameras. It has the walking around camera and it has the battle camera. And you can tune those in the setting to one of three settings. So you can say, I want the camera um, all the way inside my colon. I want it <laughs> just outside of the colon, but really focused close up on the colon or a normal usable camera. And <laughs> it, it defaults to all the way up inside the colon. And I played for about 20 minutes before I was like, uh, I got to change this. And thank God the game lets you know that that's a thing you can change. Like in the opening, it's like, oh, hey, here's where the camera settings are. And so I left it on the defaults to see what that was like. And then I changed it to all threes and just never looked back because I was like, I need to 
I need to see the world that I'm supposed to be saving. I can't live inside of Cloud's colon. Well, that was one of the pre-order bonuses was colonoscopy <laughs> mode. <laughs> I mean, did you leave the default camera? And if so, why? I don't think I did, but I honestly can't remember. I remember going through those settings when I started, but I don't, for the life of me, know what they're set to now. I mean, I, I just, I had to, to me, the most pulled back camera is the only usable camera. Because most of the time in battle, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're fighting flying enemies, if you're fighting enemies in a large open space at the end of a hallway, then sometimes the party can get very spread apart. And if the camera is right up inside the character's colons, then it's really hard to see what is going on. And and maybe that's the feeling they were going for. They wanted that claustrophobic, you don't always know where your party members are. and, And so it's like, in the heat of battle, it's hard to keep track of everyone, but I just, I found it completely inserviceable and not even just for battles, but just walking around. So you're ready to go into audio. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, this music is iconic, right? Uh, and, and this reimagining of the music, I think is, you will do a better job describing this than I can what with your, your, your background at all. But I realized that they didn't take any single piece of music and just say, Oh, Hey, now instead of MIDI files, we'll have an orchestra play it. They actually rewrote pretty much every single song so that it's got a slightly different flow so that it's got slightly different instruments so that it's uh, some of them are complete, you know, reimaginings where it's got like a funky beat or they made it somber and it used to be upbeat or whatever. And I think that was a, a really smart call because otherwise you would just be like, Oh, it's just like the, the Boston Philharmonic version that they released of the soundtrack 20 years ago. This isn't that novel, right? Like it, it needs to feel new, but familiar. And I'm sure for Umatsu, that was like a huge ask, right? Hey, can you please make these iconic songs but like again, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm sure that was a, a Herculean effort for him and presumably a, you know, a team of composers that he worked with, but damn, if they didn't nail it, like this music is incredible. It's so good. Like for every bit of visual goodness, there is, you know, an equal amount of, you know, auditory goodness. It's just, it's phenomenal. When they're taking a victory lap with all the jukebox variations of like jazz quartets <laughs> and, synth wave cover it's like a whole commission cover album of all the songs and they're just like yeah we already blew your mind but here's a whole bunch of like 30 extra tracks of stuff that you didn't even ask for and we already knew we were gonna kill with yeah the music is is amazing and you know one thing i note um is like you're saying they reimagine some of the themes like there's often it feels like there's multiple versions of each theme depending on the intensity of the encounter you're in or if it's in between battles it's like it's almost like um it strips down to like an underscore where it's just the bass and rhythm or just like one of the counter melodies but then when you get into a fight the full-blown song comes back and it's just delightful and you know sometimes even the full-blown songs they they take a secondary melody that may may not have been the one you were used to humming in the original, but it's like, oh yeah, I remember that was part of the song too. And they flip the song kind of on its head to be like, here's the melody we're featuring, um, or the you know the the chord or the bass underneath it that we're putting forward in the song instead of just an exact arrangement 
akin to what was in the original game. And that all just makes it so fresh and interesting to listen to. Um, the the battle music, the boss music, the, the original battle music, um, everyone's theme, it's just, it surprises you. And it's not just like, oh yeah, I remember that. It's like, oh man, it's a new angle. <laughs> it's a whole new perspective on the music. The music, I think, is a good example of, I didn't honestly understand why they were calling it Final Fantasy VII Remake until it was getting closer to release and some people had gotten early copies and there had been all these interviews with, you know, directors and writers and stuff. And they were like, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's cause like there's stuff that's different. Like we didn't just take the old game and remake it in a modern engine. Like this is a retelling of the same story, but some of the story beats might be different uh, some of, you know, the order some events happen in might be different. You know, there's going to be, because the world is so much more fleshed out, there's going to be all this different stuff. And the music is such an incredible distillation of that, the difference between like HD re-release and remake, because you don't, as the player, I think, have any problem having the uh, Final Fantasy VII, the original Final Fantasy VII, like battle music in your head and this battle music in your head, right? You wouldn't just from now on only remember the fully orchestrated version. You will still have fond memories of, you know, the OG MIDI version and this version. And that's, that seems like a really hard, like, how do you plan for that? How do you say like, well, we're going to, we don't want to take over this space in the person's mind, but we want to build an apartment right next to it. It's like a like Grimmauld place in Harry Potter. Like we're going to just insert an entire new memory in between existing memories in a space you didn't even know existed. Cause we're just going to magically separate two current memories. It's, it's, it's unreal to me that you could even attempt to do that, let alone then go on to succeed at it. Yeah. There's, there's a confidence to their execution on the music. And I think it's sort of like what I said about the visuals feeling like it it never, you don't see it struggling. It's just like we accomplished what we wanted to do. And that feels abundantly here with the music. They they killed it. Like, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, soundtrack for this, which of course there's like a million, you know, ripped versions on um, uh, YouTube where people have like pulled the music out of the game by just standing somewhere and not having any sound effects and stuff. And I appreciate those people because the OST is apparently not even available for sale yet. I don't know if it's going to be on streaming. And if you want to buy it on physical ass discs, it's $77. And when I first heard that, I was only like a couple hours into the game and I was just like, oh man, this music's good. But I don't know if it's $77 good. Like that's more than I spent on the game. And then, you know, now that I'm, well over five hours into the game i'm like oh uh 77 dollars oh that seems pretty fair i mean these people worked really hard it's really really enjoyable like i don't have a cd player but you know we could figure something out like it's it's almost unbelievable to me that i'm seriously considering throwing more than i spent on the game because i got it at a pre-order discount so i spent 49 dollars us on the game and i'm seriously considering spending almost 80 just to get the soundtrack (laughs) and then the struggle for how to add it to spotify i don't know what you use for (laughs) 
I mean, they all have the same, like, please also let me play local music problem. <laughs> and they're like, you go over into this corner of our interface where we might <laughs> let you one by one add a file. <laughs> Get out of here, Winamp. <laughs> so can we talk about the voices? Because I have thoughts about the voices. So Cloud sounds pretty much exactly the way I imagined. I think his voice actor is actually really good because it's probably really easy to do a character like that super monotone because I don't have any feelings and this is how I convey that I don't have... Right? He's not like that at all. There's emotion in there, but it's very, like, you know, roiling beneath the surface. Um, Barrett... uh, Is is Barrett... There's a a whole cultural uh, thing going on there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm cringing a little <laughs> at, at Barrett. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to play into a theme of uh, one of the best things I can say about this game. I kind of want to save for the, the mechanics, but I'll just, uh, whatever, I'll say it, is that they lean into everything that we knew about Final Fantasy VII, the original. They lean into it and they keep it, they, they like take it to eleven. And unfortunately, with Barrett's characterization, they didn't shy away at all from like, well, here's a stereotype of a American black man, and we're just going to go all out with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still want to believe, and I know this is an incredibly rosy take on this, so if this is wrong, that's fine. But I, I still want to believe that the the stereotyping that we see with a character like Barrett is more akin to like the American cowboy. It's like, if you are in a culture outside of the United States and you are trying to describe a super cool, like gruff, you know, like badass, that's the stereotype they seem to be going for. It's not a, like, I don't want to get into it. It's not a, I don't think it's a negative stereotype. I think it is their way of saying, this is supposed to be like a cool in charge, no nonsense, no BS dude. And that's how they talk in English. Right. Like, and, and so it's, unfortunately there's a lot of other baggage that goes along with that, but you're right. They definitely leaned into it and they were just like, yeah, this is the character. This is how he speaks. And if you're uncomfortable with that, maybe don't play our game. Um, but the, the thing that stood out to me as odd, uh, were actually Aerith's voice and Tifa's voice. Because Tifa's voice wasn't exactly what I imagined. I don't know what I was imagining, but I, I I think I was imagining something like a little softer. But I'm glad in hindsight that they went with like not an over-the-top like Marilyn Monroe voice because that's not who she is and that wouldn't fit, right? She's very feminine in her silhouette but like she's not a dainty like oh i'm a damsel in distress like that's not that character so i'm glad she has like a more confident kind of voice Aerith, on the other hand i didn't really imagine her as like a manic pixie dream girl in the original and she is now i am not a fan of Aerith's voice in this game at all <laughs> i they they made her sound kind of like a little bit of a ditzy airhead with her voice which is not the script. She's not that way as written, but just as voiced. And I think that's what kind of feels like a mismatch to me because she's often make mocking Cloud for being like, let me take care of this. I'll go ahead. And she's like, nah, I'm going to come <laughs> to you. Nah, I can take care of myself. Shut up. Um, she's written that way, but she doesn't sound that way. And 
I'm not saying no one with that voice could be assertive. Uh, of course, they could be, but it just feels like a mismatch to me. Yeah, and I, I have noticed this with, and I mean, I'm you know, I'm a guy. I have a fairly baritone voice, so I'm I understand that I am a victim of American culture's view of what makes a strong character. But I have seen other anime, cartoons, you know, comic adaptations into miniseries or whatever where. I also felt like, oh, this woman is supposed to be like confident and competent and strong and not afraid and not a damsel in distress, but she sort of has the voice of one. And I'm really glad they didn't write her that way because if that's just the way that woman speaks or if that's the way they told her to to voice the character, like this is the character voice we're going for, then yeah, let's maybe start to break apart that stereotype and say you can have a sort of, you know, youthful kind of not really strong I'm in command voice but be confident and not be a coward and not be a damsel in distress like she's she's none of the negative stereotypes that I think have historically gone with that voice and that's sort of where the that dissonance is is coming in for both of us but I'm that if you're going to break that stereotype that's probably the direction to do it in right instead of saying oh we'll give a, a strong confident baritone voice to this moron character who still has no agency or autonomy like no let's Let's not do that. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Wedge's voice, which is one of my favorite characters in Breaking Bad, which I looked up. I don't know if you knew this or I'd looked this up. One of uh, Jesse Pinkman's buddy dealer friends. Yes. The, the, the fatter one. Yes. You know, you sent that picture in chat <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I kind of recognize that guy, but I'm not sure what he's from because you just sent the picture and you were like, this is the voice of Wedge. And the whole time, every time he was in a scene, I was just like, damn, what? I know this dude's voice, but where? Yes, he's totally that guy from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, I think his voice is absolutely perfect for that character. Like, I can't, like, he <laughs> now is Wedge. I'm sorry, man, but you're Wedge in real life. You know, one of the things I would say about the voice of acting that I think is great is the banter while you're in between spaces, you're going around different environments or you're, you know, you're climbing something and there's kind of a beat in the gameplay where it's like, well, you're just climbing. Um, they did a really good job of filling that with good content where um, the characters are talking about what just happened or they're revealing parts of their personality. I, I was constantly entertained or informed about them as characters during these little in-between moments and they, they did that with the voice acting. I just thought that was a really great use of it in the game. Well, and this is somewhere that the NPC voice acting helps redeem the peanut butter mouth a little bit because when you are moving about the world in like a, a populated area, the NPCs are talking to each other or sometimes to themselves, but you cannot face every single random NPC and hit triangle to interact. And... I know this is not the first game to do this. Other other modern, you know, big open world RPGs have done this where they're just kind of talking and you're sort of overhearing them, but the performances are good. And the thing that really cemented that in my mind is a horrible thing happens. And after the horrible thing happens and there's a bunch of townspeople dealing with the fallout of the horrible thing, there's a lot of serious drama that these people are like real trauma that they're dealing with. Like 
lost family members, lost livelihoods, lost homes, lost possessions, right? Separation from their entire way of life. And these are just random NPCs that, you know, they could have just grabbed any old person to do the voice, but that would make the scene or the story feel less realistic. And so it really helped me be in the right emotional space to not just have this stirring music, but to have, you know, just random people who you can't interact with because they're dealing with their own stuff. They're not wallpaper just to, you know, wait for you to come up to them and press triangle, like screaming, like I can't find my parents or I can't find my children or like, Oh my God, my house is destroyed. Like there's really horrifying, you know, quality voice acting to drive home not just like, oh, these people are hanging out in front of a store and ha ha, the item shop has customers besides me, but like to really make the stakes feel more realistic because these people are, they're the collateral damage, right? This is every time it's like, oh, the world's going to be destroyed. It's like, yeah, but there's only six people in this whole town. It's like, no, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people here. You only talk to six of them because they're the ones that are related to your story. So that kind of like background hum of NPC chatter, I think is on the same level of quality as the background hum of like main character chatter. And I do like the design choice, you know, getting into a little bit of sound effects and gameplay um, that you have a full UI for conversing with important story characters, mission givers, other main characters, but the NPCs that are just kind of background color to each location they just pop up, they just speak automatically, which is more realistic to you're in a crowd and people are just talking. And it, it kind of pops them up like notifications on the side. Like you can go, you can look at them, but they're, it's not something you need to stop your gameplay to receive a message about. And I, I like that hierarchy of audio that if I'm, if I'm really hunkering down, I might have to make a choice or I might be buying something from this person. Give me the, the interface. But if I'm just hearing chatter, well, just let it, you know, kind of wash by. When you say like, let it just go by, um, that's happening in the sound design as well. Because uh, so when I I first got the game, uh, I sat down in my living room and my children's bedrooms are right above my living room. And so I took my headphones and I plugged them into the PS4 controller. And Susan was like, oh, are you you're going to play with headphones on. And I was like, yes, I'm not playing this game that I know is going to have some of the best music I may ever hear in a video game on like volume two so that I don't bother the kids. I'm going to play this on, you know, Maxwell, you know, blown back in front of the speaker volume level. And I'm just <laughs> going to live inside my headphones. And there, I mean, the music with headphones on, is just like, Oh my God. But there's, those people's voices like fade into the background as you run away from them because the game isn't trying to say like, here is useful quest information. Make sure you overhear it regardless of how far away you get from this NPC, right? It's, it's, if you run by like that little text log on the screen might be the difference between like, did I quite hear them right? Oh yeah. I see what they said. Right. Cause it, it fades away or it fades in if you're running toward them. Like it's it, all those little kind of polishes make the world feel I think for lack of a better term, like more alive, right? Like it looks like it's alive, but it also sounds like it's alive. It's not a, it's not a beautiful little painting. It is a living, breathing world with people talking and sometimes, you know, cracking wise. And there's people who like make stupid jokes and stuff. Like it feels realistic. 
There were definitely a couple times where it felt like someone triggered all of the sounds on the soundboard at the same time when I walked by like a particularly big crowd <laughs> and it was like press play on all of them and it was a little inco like it wasn't incoherent like the rabble of a crowd in the distance it was just here's 20 unique statements hitting play at once and you see like the the text list down really quickly on the side and so sometimes it was a little weird it, i mean it wasn't really a gameplay problem but it was just kind of strange sometimes when you would run by enough people and it was just like we're all saying things now <laughs> that's the uh it's the audio equivalent of the peanut butter mouth right because realistically your hearing yeah. is impossibly sharp and so if you are sprinting through a crowded area, you hear those people with Superman-like clarity for way longer than you should, right? So if you're walking <laughs> through like a moderately populated area, you don't notice. But yeah, if you go sprinting through like a densely populated area, just the 80 lines of text pop up on the side of the screen. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of someone like falling asleep onto the soundboard and, and they've smashing all... all the buttons. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and they've all got like smart home motion sensors for when you're coming by. And like, <laughs> all right, cue it up. Here he comes. <laughs> oh, oh, he's coming. T talk about the most recent disaster. <laughs> Say something sad, but be really convincing. Yeah. Oh, the the one other thing about voices that I, I cannot uh, forget to mention because this just tickled me as a big Superman fan. So in Advent Children, you know, the first time Sephiroth had a voice. He was voiced by the same voice actor who did Superman's voice in like Justice League and you know Batman Superman the animated series and um that guy has a great voice. He uh he reads some audiobooks if you like audiobooks like he just he's a pleasant voice to listen to. And uh when I saw you know they were finally going to release this I was like, "Oh, I wonder if they're going to have the same dude do his voice." And then uh you get information in a slightly different order than you got it in the original game. So you hear Sephiroth speak, even though you don't get out of Midgar in this game, you you just hear that, that voice actor perform a little bit. And I was like, uh, this doesn't sound quite, I mean, the voice actor is fantastic and he does a great job and he is a good Sephiroth, but I was like, I don't think this is the same guy. And I looked it up. And it's actually the actor who is currently playing Superman on the Supergirl television show. <laughs> and I was like, oh, apparently to qualify for the role of Sephiroth, you, you have to have played Superman at some point in your career. It's just like some phone number that the head of Square is like, this is where you go for voice actors. And it just calls the team that makes Superman. It's like, I guess we got a guy here. <laughs> I just I just like to imagine he picks up a phone that has no numbers or dials on it and goes, get me Superman. <laughs> and, and they just bring whoever the current Superman is. If they had actually released this game when they first showed the tech demo, you know, 85 years ago, it would have been Brandon Routh who did the voice of Sephiroth. <laughs> I mean, I, I could gush pretty much endlessly about every single piece of music in this game, but I, I think it's all really good and you should give whoever you have to money to get this music into your life is probably my, my bookend for audio. <laughs> I guess my last thought about audio is children usually sound very annoying in video games. <laughs> and I don't think that's an <laughs> exception here. The The kids are like, ah, stop, please. <laughs> do, you, do you get the sense that they are child actors or are they adults doing the voices of children? Or is it, are they synthetically, you know, lowering 
uh, or raising, you know, adult voices into a childlike register. Like, why is it that they're annoying? Because I don't think the acting is bad. It's probably just because I hate children. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that, that's probably fine. <laughs> if you ever watch uh, like a cartoon or a movie where there's children's drawings, sometimes in the credits they will say like, you know, oh, you know, Jim Johnson did all of the child drawings. And it's like, oh, this is an artist who specializes in realistic children's artwork for like horror movies or whatever. And I know that some people prefer adults just raising their voice so that they get a better performance out of a more skilled actor, even though the voice kind of sounds worse, as opposed to let's find a child who is also a good actor. If I had to guess, I would say these are adults. Or that woman that does Bart Simpson. Is it Yer- No, Yerldy Smith is Lisa. But yeah, I get, I get the sense that these are adults doing the voices of children, not child actors. It's all Haley Joe Osmond. <laughs> He's another one that Square Enix just like has on speed dial. Get that sixth sense, kid. <laughs> He's in his 40s now. I don't care. We have children to voice. Do you have any other audio notes? No, I I think I'm ready to get into mechanics, especially because there's a lot to talk about (laughs) with the mechanics they've changed. We're an hour in, so well. So, are we going to release this episode in in an unknown number of parts, just like they're doing (laughs) with the game? This remake conversation only covers the visuals. (laughs) (laughs) It's 45 hours long. So, I mean, where where do we start? Do you want to go right to the combat? We could talk about all the quality of life improvements they did in literally just the status screen alone. Like, there's there's so much that's been modernized in really smart ways. I, before we get to praising it, I want to start with a question, which is how many times have you triggered either a limit break or one of your, like, two bars of ATB abilities and had it just inflicted with ferocity onto empty air on the side of the battlefield and not into an enemy. Ooh. So I've gotten pretty okay at using attacks when I know I'm pretty likely for them to land. It's because I screwed it up a lot at first. The thing that I have continued to screw up and have not learned my lesson on is uh, the same kind of problem, which is, I really want to cast this spell or use this ability, not realizing that there is, you know, a monster fist like millimeters from my jaw. And then the ability fizzles, but you, the ATB is still spent. Yeah. And, and that is just emotionally devastating. That feels more like my fault, right? Like if you swing out into the open air, part of you can be like, Oh, well, you know, sometimes they magnetically, you know, lunge 150 feet and attack. Why didn't it work that time? And you can sort of turn it back on the game, but when you're about to get hit and you stupidly try to deploy an ability anyway, and then it fizzles, it's like, no, that that was kind of my fault. Yeah. And my question relates to, for me, it's a conversation about the camera controls in the combat system, which I guess is sort of, you know, let's talk about combat. Um, And I think your view of combat is a a decent starting place. They give you lots of reasonable tools in this game. So I want to start out giving it props that you can manually point 
in a general direction and the game will try to choose a target in your field of view that makes sense that's like somewhat where you're pointing the camera or you can click in the stick and switch to a lock on um, which sometimes results in that bat 40 yards over there is who i want to hit now (laughs) and i'm gonna swing at the empty air even if you're not close to him and if that's that's true it does seem to have sort of faulty lock-on logic sometimes and i mean that's one where you could pause and you could you know set your target very carefully and then you know rejoin reality um i found myself going back and forth between these modes trying you know at different times and then sometimes being unsatisfied with whichever one i happen to be on and be like ah um but did you play mostly with a locked on camera or do you like to be able to turn in real time to what you wanted to face so i mostly use the lock on um for kind of a unrelated reason which is it helps me make sure i am focusing attention either in one place or specifically not doing that because when you lock on it shows that you know so if you're fighting five of the same enemy it's like you know goblin a goblin b goblin c right and so if the nearest one happens to be goblin f and i'm like okay i really want to kill this goblin first and then have everybody you know all turn and murder the next goblin having the lock on helped me keep that straight in my head but then there's other enemies like if you're backtracking or you're doing a side quest or something where the fastest way is actually to divide and conquer and so i would use the lock on to specifically make sure like, okay, now Tifa's going to murder this and Barrett's going to murder that and cloud's going to murder this third thing. And that just kind of helped me keep it straight and, and not have to worry about fidgeting with the camera quite so much. So I would say I probably use lock on like 95% of the time, like almost exclusively. Interesting. I definitely stayed with the manual camera most of the time. And I think it's, because I kept experiencing the like that bat 500 yards away is who I want to hit. And then (laughs) it wasn't clear to me when I would press left or right on the joystick, who was it going to select next? It felt like it was kind of like bouncing around. And so I liked, even though I wasn't as direct and controlling exactly who cloud or whoever was attacking, I liked pointing the camera in generally towards what I wanted this is where I'm fighting, so I'll fight stuff that's around here. Yeah, and I, I think you used the exact right term for it, which is the game gives you tools because for the way you wanted the characters to behave, the lock-on was not giving you the result you wanted. And for the way I want them to behave, the lock-on is giving me the result I wanted, even though we agree on the problems with both systems one just fits my playstyle better and one fits your playstyle better because I absolutely would hit lock on and be like, no, not that bat. Maybe the guy who's like driving his baseball bat into your face, not the bat that's way you know, fluttering around way over there. Like let's deal with these problems in the obvious priority order. And so you do then kind of have to like, you know, mash the stick to like, you know, cycle through them. Um, but I, I found that too, even when it is frustrating, still overall yield, superior results and most of the time you're not dealing with more than four simultaneous enemies and when you are it's they're usually like throwaway enemies you can murder pretty fast um so that's it hasn't been a huge issue the time that it's actually been the worst is um when you're uh you're climbing this tower and there's those stupid like helicopter guys 
And they not only are they flying, which makes them awkward to aim the camera at, but they are constantly slowly backing away from you, which <laughs> stretches out the party. So now Tifa's way over there doing whatever she's doing. And like Barrett and Cloud are way over here dealing with the one guy who's on the ground. And like, that's where I found the lock on was, was not helping me because those enemies are playing very defensively. Whereas most of the monsters are like hyper aggressive. So they, they all kind of come into the space. There's also a, a boss fight that I don't want to spoil or reveal that happens in Wall Market that likes to fly around a lot in the air. And I found Lock-On was kind of nauseating on that that fight. But I also found not being locked on was an annoying manual camera task of now I've got to spin around all the time to try to see where it is. Yeah. Um, sidebar, though. How awesome was that boss fight? Oh, my God. I, I just... <laughs> because I loved it so much, I don't want to spoil it for someone who's listening to this and might play it for themselves, especially if they have any nostalgia for original game. Yeah, it's, it, I love those kinds of deep cuts because it's like if you're if you've never played the original, this will just seem like something is obviously up here. Like it's so specific that you would say like what is this about? And if you do know what they're referencing, you're like, oh my god. So I, I just talked about the camera forever but there's there's a lot going on with the combat do you want to give us the rundown of kind of what drew your attention well so i mentioned the slow-mo from a, a visual standpoint but i am still a diehard fan of turn-based combat uh, and i mean even honest to god turn-based combat where you can just sit on the menu forever and until you select something time doesn't advance at all like that's not the only kind of game I like playing, but I do still enjoy those kinds of games. I've played modern games that have turn-based combat and I still enjoy it. I've gone back and played retro games that have turn-based combat and I still enjoy them. So it's, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea and especially for people whose games literacy is mostly modern games. It's, it's like it's slow and, and crunchy and kind of impalatable. The, the way the, you know, all the combat is happening in real time. And then when you open the menu, it pops up where you can select your special abilities or spells or items. And while that menu is open is where you have this not stopped time, but massively slowed down time. And it keeps the pressure on because time hasn't actually stopped, but it reduces the pressure enough that you still feel like you can make intelligent decisions. And I honestly cannot think of a more clever way to modernize turn-based combat and still say here is the actual action that's happening but still allowing you the player the video gamey freedom to make decisions that are nested in nested menus that are nests all the way down right the the closest i could think of is like the vats system in the modern fallout games yeah and i like that because i'm not amazing at first person shooters but it doesn't actually feel like quite as polished as this does right and maybe that had to come first before they could do something like they're doing here in in final fantasy 7 remake but it's 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 really elegant like it it's just it feels supernatural and it it feels like it gives me the player access to this huge amount of information that the actual characters would know instantly and intuitively right they know what spells they can cast they know what abilities they have but i'm managing you know, three strangers and I need to in an instant, you know, instant, 
remember everything they're capable of so that I can make a smart decision. And I don't think it's realistic to ask a player to be able to do that in real time. So how do you do that while still keeping this real time aesthetic and making it feel fast paced and, and energetic? And it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love it. I love this combat system. I thought for sure I would hate it, but I actually really like it. So my simple way of summing up what I was afraid this combat system would be is what I derisively call Kingdom Hearts gameplay. And <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily dislike the Kingdom Hearts games, but I do not feel invested in combat in Kingdom Hearts games. I love all the Disney stuff. I love well, I don't really love the weird teenage storyline stuff, but I do like the Disney stuff. Um, and so with this game, you know, any modern square action Final Fantasy always feels dangerously close to making me uninvested and bored where it's like, ah, I'm just going to mash attack. And I'm really happy to report that's not how I feel about this game, even if on some very superficial surface level you might see some hack and slash. There's actually a lot of depth here. And they're they're giving you different systems. And you know, like I mean, the the history of RPGs is long enough that you're going to see all the tropes and the stuff that's been around forever, but remixed in a new way here. So you've got elemental weaknesses and resistances. You've got um, weapon proficiencies, weapon abilities. Um, you can upgrade these things to get better stats. Um, but and you've also got this concept of staggering, which is some enemies are just tanks until you intimidate them and kind of get them on their back legs enough and suddenly their belly's exposed and you can absolutely murder them. And so by... Well, and, and if you've played other Final Fantasies like 13 that involve staggering, this is not that. This is, this is not rock, paper, scissors is the only way to defeat this enemy. It is a an additional layer of the combat without saying like, oh, if you didn't guess the right number then you're never going to be able to defeat this monster so like when i saw this game had staggering that was my like you freaked out like oh god what if this is like king of hearts <laughs> when i saw this had staggering i was like oh god what if this is like final fantasy 13 <laughs> yeah you've also got materia which go up levels so you get you unlock more powerful spells or you know better benefits if it's a more stat based materia um there's even systems that come about because of materia like you have a way that other players can echo you whenever you do use a special ability or spell um, or automatically cure. It never quite gets to the level of like Final Fantasy XII Gambit system where you're programming <laughs> them, but they just have these little layers sprinkled in. And then that's combined with giving you enemies that are challenging enough that make you want to figure out using these tools to fight them. And there, I mean, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say that's never frustrating. There's definitely the, the aforementioned boss fight that we're purposely not describing was kind of infuriating. And I managed to beat it on my first try without dying. But I, you know, if you ask my partner, Emily, she, you know, I was swearing. I was very angry. I was, I used probably 15 <laughs> Phoenix downs and I was just like, it was so annoying. Yeah, that that makes me feel better because I struggled with that fight. And like you're generally speaking, I would say you're probably better at video games than I am. So like I'm sort of I feel a little vindicated <laughs> hearing that. And that was one of the fights where, you know, to your point earlier, you said like most of the time or you didn't say most of the time, but you said staggering isn't the only way to beat most creatures. 
And this felt like a fight where it was like, you better use the trick we told you to beat this thing or else you can't do anything to it. And it made it memorable, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> It's unique in its awfulness. <laughs> I think so. I, I want to circle back to um, the that hack and slash comment because you, you're... You're 100% right about the variety of character abilities and materia and um, the, the, the unique weapon abilities that you could learn if you, you know, choose to learn an ability, then you don't have to have that weapon equipped. One of the things that stood out to me uh, from the very beginning, because you, you, know, you get Barrett pretty early on, just like in the original game, um, the way you attack is literally the same button but pressed differently so for cloud you have like a pretty steady like cut 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 rhythm with barrett you actually hold square and he fires continuously for the same amount of time as it would take cloud to like do his little combo but you don't have to press like bullet 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 right like you hold it down because that's more like how a machine gun would function and then for Tifa, she can basically attack as fast as you can mash the button, right? So it's, even though you press square to attack with everyone, they each feel like they kind of have their own little unique rhythm and you sort of get a feeling for like how many button presses or how long you hold the button press that it will take to fill that character's ATB so that you can use one of their abilities and then switch to another character and like start that little dance over. And it's a really seemingly insignificant like oh well you either press square fast faster or you hold it but that tiny bit of variety actually helps the characters feel like they play uniquely even though they kind of don't right it's i mean they're you switch to a character use their abilities you switch to another character use their abilities but it that tiny little difference in how your thumb is moving is like oh no now i'm controlling barrett now i'm controlling cloud now i'm controlling tifa and i i found that made throwaway battles like if you're backtracking or you get lost or something right i there's two hallways and i somehow picked the only wrong one um <laughs> that like little bit of variety makes those throwaway battles feel a little bit more engaging where it's not like kingdom hearts where it's just like keep pressing square to win okay now <laughs> walk a few more feet now keep pressing square to win do you know did you feel that at all yeah it's to be fair i haven't finished the game yet but I have felt deeply invested in almost all the combat that's ever been going on in the game. Yeah, some of the the random minor battles are pretty much button mashy and you don't have to worry too much, but pretty often they'll throw you a, a heavy in a battle and you you'll benefit greatly from thinking about it or using your your techniques or figuring out which thing it's weak against and using that against it. Um and they even some of the 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 random enemies can knock you on your ass if you don't exploit their weaknesses and you'll find, you know, your screen's turning red. You're like, dude, I was just trying to cross this little platform, but I guess this is for real here. <laughs> I think I remember one of your complaints in the original FF seven review that we put out nine days ago or whatever, <laughs> that the materia system kind of took away some of the uniqueness of all the characters because you can load anyone up with any skill and it kind of is like design whatever you want here to the lego box and don't you feel like they kind of push this but the needle back the other direction on this because barrett's a distance attacker eris uh, Aerith, sorry for the american eyes <laughs> 
get out. <laughs> <laughs> Mako. They, they can attack from a distance. Um, Tifa's really great for building up stagger. Cloud's just your classic damage dealer. Didn't you feel like they made the character, you know, even though th- there's similar systems in play for each of them, they kind of did specialize them a little bit. They absolutely do, even to the point where um, most of Barrett's weapons are not as powerful as Cloud's and Tifa's, you you know, because unless you live in techno JRPGs a lot, you're like, but it's a gun. And it's like, no, swords are more powerful than guns, moron. <laughs> like it, but, but I like that the advantage of Barrett is if he has line of sight on an enemy, he can shoot them. If you have line of sight on an enemy as, you know, Tifa or Cloud, you may not be able to reach them. And if you can't reach them, it takes forever for your ATB to fill, and then you can cast a spell, right? So you do need Barrett to solve problems, which is another thing that they could have done that in the original Final Fantasy VII, and they sort of do, where it's like, oh, this enemy's flying, and so you know, ground-based characters can't reach them. But since everyone has unlimited magic, you can just like magic, magic, yeah. magic, magic, <laughs> magic, problem solved, right? Whereas in this, they they forced ranged characters because Aerith is also a ranged character she like instead of hitting people with her stick she like casts these little spells um and they actually matter now like the the three-dimensional space matters in a way it's never mattered before without that being too often a like frustrating slog and decoupling uh a lot of abilities that were historically materia abilities into weapon abilities that you learn and then can use at any time. It's like, Oh, now Barrett can do focus shot or the, I just recently got one. That's like shoot everyone until they die. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's like, it's his best weapon ability I've gotten so far. Right. And like cloud has uh, braver, which used to be his first limit break. And now he also has like focus thrust and like these other crazy sword techniques. And they all are useful in different situations but they all make the characters feel unique again. And then I can like, okay, maybe everybody has a healing spell and everybody can cast lightning because it's the most useful magic attack. Like there's that I don't care about as much because that's what it feels like materia is supposed to do. Materia makes you more powerful and it gives you magical abilities, but it's not what makes you you, right? Cloud is a swordsman and there's no materia that makes him a better swordsman. He becomes a better swordsman. You know, Tifa's a brawler. There's no materia that makes her a better brawler. She becomes a better brawler. Like I, I like that. So like, I thought it was really weird at first. I was just like, Oh, it's like there's abilities and materia. That's dumb. Why well, I have two systems. And then after, you know, just a couple hours of play, you're like, Oh, this is why this is why I have two systems. One of the things I didn't mention in visuals that was a little paper cut for me. Speaking of the systems is, uh, going into the weapon upgrade part of the cubby hole of the menu system gives you like this <laughs> screensaver of galaxies and solar systems and orbits. And that looks kind of neat, but I kind of don't want to wait 10 seconds every time I want to look at what upgrades I have. And I, I know one of the friends of the show, Matt, told us, ah, just switch that to automatic. But I still got to complain about the fact that when you go in there, it's like... Welcome to this part of the menu. You know what? It, it feels like the OS boot up in some terrible sci-fi movie. Yeah. And no other part of the interface has an arbitrary delay like that. Like it's not 
It's not like, well, in this menu, it's microscopic. Here's the atomic structure of the materia, and you're choosing which one to slot in. And so it just felt like an unnecessary pumping of the brakes of my flow of like, I'm, I'm setting my characters up. Sweet. I'm going to come over here. All right, let's check out the upgrades. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this, this segues nicely into another thing I, I was really impressed with is the volume and um, and and quality of the quality of life improvements where for example if i have a weapon equipped and i switch to a different weapon it says hey do you want to just put the same materia into this new weapon and you go yes that actually is exactly what i wanted thank you right or that's close enough to what i wanted that now i can go make the one yeah. change or or whatever and then so to you know juxtapose stuff like that against like, oh, do you want your weapon to be more powerful? Well, okay, first you have to watch this orientation video. <laughs> um, and then we're going to go on a tour of the weapon upgrading facility, right? It's just, it's it's really awkward. And personally, as soon as I learned that auto was a thing from friend of the show, Matt, uh, I just immediately set everybody's weapon to uh, auto upgrade on balanced. And I have regretted that uh, for zero seconds ever since. Like, I'm just... Just like I assume this is what I want, it's fine. That combined with knowing that you can throw a hundred gill at Chadley anytime you want to reinvent, like if you decide you want to reinvent that, you can just throw gill at him and be like, okay, here we go. But when you have four or five, or I don't know, I haven't finished the game, so I don't know how many weapons every character has. But if you multiply four main characters by at least four weapons each, um, the thought of going in and upgrading manually is just untenable. Yeah. And that that is a weird contrast, like you're saying, with the the quality of life of every other part of the interface. You mentioned, you know, when you pick a new weapon, automatically slotting the existing materia. But even as far as like, oh, this one's over here and you want it here, you just want to swap them, cool. You don't have to de-equip both and then re-slot them. Or it's like, oh, actually Tifa's using that one. Do you just want to take it from her? Cool. Um, just they, they thought of that workflow and they're just like yeah let's just make it easy like let's not make them back out there's even a single screen there's a show me all the material every character is currently using screen like it's they really wanted you to confidently change material if you wanted to play that way if you're like oh, okay now i'm going to switch this material or i'm going to give it to this character or i'm going to move that over there or I'm going to take this spell out and put that spell in. Like they, they wanted to make that an option if you wanted to play that way. I don't change my materia that often, but when I do, it's not a friggin' chore. Yeah. The, there's really two modes to my materia use, and that's side quest mode. What are the materia I want to just passively level up because they need AP and I just want to have them on so that they get upgraded? Or am I in, I need to be in top form playoff mode for my characters okay let's slot the good stuff <laughs> even if it's already maxed like let's let's be ready to go how do you feel that uh materia no longer like has baby materia like if you want more materia you have to find it earn it or buy it i'm fine i don't care sure but but i want more first strike materia because <laughs> <laughs> it's really awesome it is a good one i mean i get why they did it because they were like we're gonna give you some new materia that if you could put five of them on everyone in your party would totally break the game and we're not going to allow you to do that. But when I realized I had a few maxed out materia that I like, I was like, where's the other one? Where, where's, where's its babies? 
You just have to wait for whoever discovers the whatever inevitable item duplication glitch is a part of every RPG ever made. I mean, surely at this point, they're just baking that glitch in on per- it's a It's a feature, not a bug. It's actually a feature, not a bug. Oh, uh, here's a dumb quality of life improvement that the first time I noticed it, I was like, oh, huh, that's funny. They thought about that. And then the 800 other times it happened, I was like, thank God they thought about that. <laughs> when you are in one of the, uh, we mentioned the narrow you know, hallways that allow you to slow, they force you to slow down so much that they can load the world <laughs> yeah. on the other side of that narrow little you know, gap. Um, there's ladders, you know, you have to go up and down ladders a lot. Uh, anytime you basically have to change your animation to go through a narrow uh, area, to go through a doorway, to go through um, or up and down a ladder. Anytime that happens, the other members of your party become insubstantial. They look the same, but you can freely pass through them, which means if you start to climb down a ladder and Barrett starts to climb down right behind you, and then you're like, oh, no, wait, I, I wanted to go back and get that extra treasure or whatever now that I defeated the boss, and you decide you're going to start to climb back up the ladder, you just pass right through him. When you're just walking around, they have substance, and you can't phase through them like the Flash. <laughs> but the fact that someone realized, like, oh, having to build in AI to make Cloud ram his head into Barrett's feet on the ladder and then Barrett immediately starts climbing back up the ladder is not fun. Like, just let them magically phase through their party in these certain circumstances. And it, I mean, it's totally unrealistic. It's very video gamey, but thank God. Thank God. Because it just, it feels more realistic even though it's done in a way that is completely, like, ridiculous. Because if you and I were going one direction and I was like, Oh, we need to turn around. You would instantly turn around. But in a video game, I have no way to communicate that to the party. Right? So this gives me the same end result in a way that's silly and video gamey, but I don't care because it makes moving about the world so much more naturally fluid that you almost forget. Oh, I just phased right through Barrett's gigantic boots. He's got a pretty normal sized head and nothing else about him is normal size. (laughs) See, I've been, I've been hearing that the opposite, which is, why is his head so small? And it's like, no, the rest of him is <laughs> yeah. huge. Uh, everyone has pig noses. I'm the only, on a, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where he grabs Tifa's hand and the difference in size. I just, like, I wanted to pause it and just be like, holy crap. Yeah, he, uh, he puts his hand on the back of Marlene's head in one scene. <laughs> And it's supposed to be endearing, but part of me was just like, if he sneezes, he would crush her into a vapor. (laughs) He stopped at Target and got like the novelty Hulk fists that kids have. (laughs) Yeah, no, we shouldn't shame him and his gigantism that he was surely born with. He he got swole with the guys at Walmart doing squats. (laughs) That's right. Okay, okay, wait, okay. So we're going to do a side quest to talk about that side quest. My PS4 is on like my living room television and then my gaming PC is in my office and I wanted to try out the PS4 remote streaming so that I could play the game without headphones on while my kids were asleep and I happened to be at the part of the game where the side quest involves squats and the remade version of the side quest involves a slightly more complicated rhythm game with the button pressing and 
I, I won't go into why my PS4 was not streaming properly, but it was not streaming properly, which made playing a rhythm game impossible. <laughs> and I got so disproportionately angry at that. And then later you have an opportunity to do a similar mini game that involves pull-ups instead of squats. And I was playing with it streaming properly and I nailed the first two rounds of pull-ups and then the third round of pull-ups he did like 45 pull-ups to my like 22 <laughs> and it was just like how <laughs> how am i supposed to do this rhythm game that fast like this is this is not a linear difficulty scale this is like a logarithmic difficulty scale they're just suddenly like let's make it as hard as metal gear solid's torture <laughs> yeah basically but i mean how how th- this is my segue into like how are you finding all of this side mini game nonsense like there's the the one part where you have to use the giant hand to move shipping containers around and there's lots of little rhythm mini games there's lots of like you know oh go talk to these people in this order to make you know that that's the open sesame trick for the side quest like we talked about this with the original final fantasy is that like jrpgs love them some mini games and this one is no exception right yeah they just also turn that up to 11 like but i'm Mostly okay with it so far. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. There's de- definitely some side quests that feel like the 10 wolf pelt MMO cliche of like, just go <laughs> kill these. Okay, thanks. That's kind of been refreshingly the minimum. There's also the guided tour, cleverly, not so cleverly disguised as a side quest where it's like, find the cats. And you're like, okay, you're just making me run around this town so I get more familiar with it. Fine, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll learn your map, you bastard. <laughs> but I did find, so the the squat, and I haven't gotten to do the pull-ups yet, so I guess I just didn't run over there at the right time yet. Um, I think in my pre... I mean, it's it's the exact same yeah. game. It's it's just, it's a, you know, pull-ups instead of squats. Those, like the, the squats and some of the other, especially Wall Market, but some of the other side quest stuff has been full of as much character as most of the game has so i've enjoyed it a lot the the gym rats are hilarious when you're doing the squat stuff like they're (laughs) they're so funny and so like i found all that stuff pretty fun and so i like i it it wasn't 10 wolf pelts all the time so i'm very glad to report that yeah and and this i I like that that kind of emphasis on depth uh because this this actually is another good segue into the last main thing i want to make sure we we at least fleshed out a little bit which is like how fleshed out the world feels because the original final fantasy 7 is fairly renowned for having like a totally bonkers plot and being kind of all over the damn place and character motivations aren't always super clear and part of that is translation part of that is writing part of that is just the game is weird it's just, it's a jrpg with a weird story right so there's a lot of things working for it or against it, depending on what you like. And this game also has some weirdness, but everything that feels like it's supposed to be important feels like it was thought out and fleshed out. And so if you have to talk to someone, they may have peanut butter mouth while they're telling you what side quest to go do, but their motivations are are fairly understandable. Not always relatable or totally you know coherent but like you understand why they're saying please do this thing please kill this thing please buy me this thing right there's there's 
a sense of realism to the characters and the world, even down to the ridiculous 10 wolf pelt side quests that helped me feel like every time I had to do a silly mini game, I was like, Oh yeah, this is a silly mini game, but it's for this like realistic character development kind of reason, right? Like it, it's not, uh, it's not completely just, Oh, well we wanted to make you do a rhythm game for the sake of doing a rhythm game. Yeah. I think that's why I feel like the long play on this, that the thing that I'm going to come back to that kind of will probably not stop bothering me is all this delightful stuff is here, but I still feel a little claustrophobic. You're going down the hallway and I know you will turn off the mini map. I'll see how that goes, but there's still (laughs) that sense of like, go ahead for story and take this one detour every few minutes to get one little chest and that chest will probably just have a potion and then keep moving forward. It's not that I want Skyrim, but I, I want a little more, even if it was still a hallway with occasional detours, I want a little more reward for looking around and for digging into things. And I think that's part of what makes The Last of Us, even though it's 100% linear, you feel rewarded all the time for finding that extra door or that extra little bit of duct tape or nails or materials for your, your, your weapons or your crafting. And you get that by looking in every nook and cranny and you don't have to, but it just feels so good to do it. So you just want to look around. This game is a little more like, eh, just keep moving. Okay, fine. Here's a potion. Keep moving. Yeah. I get, maybe that's the problem is the, the chess, which look really cool, right? They're like little pods with the yellow band on them. They're kind of glowy and get your attention. Uh, when you open it and it's like, it's an antidote. <laughs> like I, what? Like I came down the side hallway and fought that extra battle for this. Like that, that didn't feel like it was worth it. So maybe either don't put anything down there, right? Like give me dead ends just to make the world feel more realistic because all roads don't lead to Rome. And and that, you know, that way it's like, oh, I went down the wrong way. And, and now the pressure's on because this is a tense moment and I, I went the wrong way and now I have to double back. So maybe it doesn't have to have a treasure or if you're going to put something down there, make it feel like it was worth my time, right? Because nothing is worth your time because it's like, oh, I learned that this is a dead end, right? Uh, something substantial. And I don't necessarily even mean a lot of treasure. Maybe there's like, a little bit of world building. Maybe there's a little bit of an interesting fight. Maybe there's a unique monster that's in this particular dead end, or there's, you know, some, some little bit of extra, you know, narrative or something. Um, that's all valuable stuff that you could get. That's feels way more useful to me as a player than an antidote. Yeah. That's a shame because I do love so much else about the gameplay and the mechanics. And I'm still, I mean, I'm genuinely loving the game. Like, I I don't want to sound like I'm negative on it, but that's the thing I think when I look back on it, you know, in five or 10 years, I'll be like, but there's so many hallways. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, you know, in, in 10 years when the next part comes out, like, I will be interested to see if that changes at all because the original game, like a lot of RPGs, the map is like the overworld map is not where anything happens. Like everything happens in towns and in dungeons. And that's 
those are, you know, the little oases in the desert of random encounters that is the overworld map. Uh, Final Fantasy XII tried to address this by having big outdoor areas that are essentially still part of the town or part of the dungeon. And if you really want to, you can walk from point A to point B, but either don't like and just fast travel between them or even though you're outside it's still designed like a dungeon where there's like clever dead ends and clever offshoots and the obvious path from point a to point b and and that's hard to do on the scale of final fantasy 7's world right final fantasy 12's world is huge but you only see a tiny part of it and every time you travel any considerable distance you do it by airship or you travel magically or whatever and in Final Fantasy VII, you basically walk 90% of the places you go, and then you get the airship, and there's a few extra places you can now go, but it's it's all still done on the overworld map. So what I'm afraid of, like what I'm afraid they'll pull from another square game is the Final Fantasy X is it ten no, ten two uh style of airship design where it's just like, here's a map, pick where you want to go. I'm like, no, dude, let me fly the airship around. I'm like, nope. Just tell the bus driver where your house is and we'll drop you off at the corner. And it's like, okay, well, if I want to, can I walk from place to place? No, you cannot. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, oh, so the world isn't really massive. It's actually just these 10 little areas that are stitched together by fast travel. Right. And that, that to me is worse than a small world. Like this entire game takes place inside just three of Midgar's areas like sectors you know so it's like it's not even all of midgar but the world feels big and expansive in hallways but it it feels like the world on the other side of the hallway is really massive whereas like 10-2 and some of the other you know modern rpgs they tell you the world is big and sprawling but you never see it you never feel it you sure as hell never live it and that's what i'm more afraid of is that when we leave Midgar in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, 2050 edition, that we won't leave on foot. We won't ride into the wilderness on Chocobo back. We will be told, here are a list of places that you can be fast traveled to. And that's where the story will progress. Because I feel about, the way I feel about that method of travel is, kind of the sense I get from you when you talk about hallways. Like if you're literally going to put me on rails and shuffle me off to the next story segment, then just, then just make a movie. Yeah. Your, your comparison to like wide open, open worlds that are boring and have nothing in them. Like it's just as bad. (laughs) Any space you have in a game is a, a game design challenge to fill it with interesting stuff for the player to do. And I think that's why I react poorly to some of the hallways is it really is like, Here's something on the side, and there's just this little canister. There's not a lot of interesting challenges. Um, I think of, like, weirdly, I, I was started thinking of Mario games, which are typically... I mean, the 3D ones are more free-roaming at times, but even 2D Mario is super linear, but there's often so many things you can seek out and do in the levels that just makes them feel rich and rewarding to explore whether it's extra lives or 20 red coins or whatever stretch challenges they give you. And I think that's sort of the feeling, like even if it stayed very hallway-ish, if it just felt like there was a little bit more rewarding about digging into it. That's why I like the comparison to The Last of Us. And I I think 
horror games in general probably do this really well because in horror games there's you're alone even if it's not post-apocalyptic you're usually alone or isolated and so a lot of the narrative and the story and the world building is delivered through the environment right so if i get to the end of a featureless hallway and fight some throwaway monsters that seems like a perfect opportunity to have something visually or orally present to tell me more about the world right Make one of the characters have a little line of dialogue you only hear if you go down that particular dead-end hallway, right? That that kind of stuff to me is way more valuable than like, oh, I, got, I found a treasure chest. And it's like, I can farm unlimited <laughs> yeah. money and items anywhere. Like, unless it's a unique item that I had to like go through a bunch of challenges to get to, just having a treasure chest to me is actually not really that much of a reward. It's supposed to be. But it it often isn't. And in, in this game in particular, it often isn't. So like I would way rather get that unique line of dialogue or, you know, you go you're in like a, a collapsed like subway at one point, like in a horror game, if you got to the end of that subway, that collapsed subway, there'd be like something super sad, like, oh, there's, you know, a, an adult sized skeleton and a child sized skeleton like crushed by some debris. And it's like, oh, they've been here for ages, you know, because the, the, the subway collapsed, you know, before the zombies, right? And like, The Last of Us is full of that kind of stuff too, where you see how people ended their lives in the apocalypse and you just see like a letter. Yeah. And, and I, I think horror games do that kind of thing really, really well because that's how most of the narrative is conveyed since there are so few people. But in this game, there's chatterboxes everywhere. People just giving the world life. But then when you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of people, I feel like they could make the characters more chatty or they could have things that you look at and it's like, oh, I went down this dead end and I see this unique thing that I don't need to know it. I don't need to see it. But now the world feels a little more real, feels a little deeper, feels a little richer. Like I will take that kind of reward for going down another hallway over a friggin' treasure chest with two antidotes a hundred percent of the time, every single time. I think that would be the right game design choice. I don't even think I've used an antidote yet in my playthrough a single time. Yeah. Neither, neither have I. That's why I notice every time I pick one up. Cause I'm like, huh? <laughs> huh? And I, I, I did appreciate there's at least one or two moments where Barrett or one of the other characters breaks the fourth wall about the fact that you're like going down a side hallway. He's like, oh, we're going to find some treasure over here. That's <laughs> true. They do have some dialogue like, are you sure this was the right way? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your impression is pretty good. Um, it's cracking me up. <laughs> um, they did. There has been a few moments where a materia is hiding, you know, a unique single chance materia is hidden on the side. So they, they, they do it right sometimes. I just, yeah, the amount of you got one potion or here's some Mako boxes that for some reason are here, get some magic from them. But that's gamey. It's fine. But I think that's the thing that may not hold up as well 10 or 20 years from now when your podcast is still going strong and we review this game again. (laughs) When it's actually nostalgia. (laughs) So I think you actually, uh, you just alluded to something that we didn't state explicitly, but I think is another like quality of life thing. Uh, So there are three types of indicators on the map. Um, As far as like, here's where you need to go to advance There's the main one, which is like a little blue indicator. There's the side one, which is a green indicator. But then there's this unique 
kind of like lilac circle one. And it only shows up when there's an optional thing that they want to draw your attention to, but subtly. And I think it's kind of neat because they, in the, the whole time I've been playing, I've only noticed it like three to six times, like very, very seldom. And it's usually something that the payoff is worth it, right? It's like, oh, there's an optional material over there. And like, this is the only place to get it. Like if you don't, if you don't go get it, this, this is it. This is your one and only chance to have this particular material in your collection. And they'll put it on the map as like an optional, I think they call it optional, but it's like an optional objective. And then if you go get it, fine. And the characters are aware of it, which makes it feel less video gamey because in uh, this one area, there was a, a summon material that I actually didn't go back and get. And I legitimately forgot about it. And then I was about to leave that area and Barrett stops me and says, wasn't there a materia back there that you said you wanted to go get? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> These two characters did have that interaction, and he would have remembered that, right? Like, I forgot because there was hours between those two play sessions, but for him, there was minutes between those two, you know, moments. And so I was just like, oh, that's that's cool, right? Like, that, even if there wasn't treasure on the other side of it, just the fact that he referred to things the characters were doing in that way made my actions as the player feel more in tune with the you know wishes and designs of the characters that I'm controlling so I I I want more of that stuff like take away the treasure and make all of the rewards narrative like that <laughs> that's a trade off I think is totally fine yeah. The only other mechanical thing uh I'm curious about and I don't know how this didn't come up during combat but um, do you ever block or dodge? Cause I suck at both of those things and I'm surviving without them, but I feel like I'm missing an entire layer of the combat system. So I found that the auto blocking of clouds punisher mode is pretty awesome. If you notice that it's a very physical opponent, that they're not casting spells on you and stuff all the time. There's even a few enemies where they really lampshade it, where it's like, this enemy blocks everything. And if you go into his Punisher mode and hold block, then you get the auto counter right away when they try to hit you. So that's when when I've been noticing that the game's like, hey, maybe use that. Maybe you suck and you need to use that. (laughs) That in the Reno fight... um, was very block heavy. That was the one that made me notice it. Cause you, I don't think you can beat him without yeah. countering. Like I, I literally think that fight would be impossible without counterattacking. But I also know that there's at least one yellow materia. It might be part of a Chadley quest. I haven't unlocked it all yet, but you can eventually get like a, a n- another level of blocking of called Perry that may, it, I don't know if it helps you stagger faster. It does something to, to add to that ability. So it seems like there is, that's a whole part of the game system. Maybe you should take a deeper look at, or maybe you're getting by just fine. But Well, and I don't think this is the game's fault, really. I think this is my fault. Like, I often play games with real-time combat in a hyper-aggressive, almost suicidal, <laughs> right? And And part of it is the blocking feels slow enough that I I don't want to waste the time. Yeah. Which is kind of a reckless decision in certain circumstances. And what I sort of came to on my own and actually was reinforced by a couple of um, streamers that I, I was watching talk about the game is 
characters that you are not controlling are way less aggressive than when you're controlling them. And the AI is less aggressive toward characters you're not controlling. And so what some uh, gamers have started doing is if they're about to get their lunch at, they will actually switch to a different character. So the computer will defend for them. And that's clever, but that makes me question like maybe the blocking is a little hard to activate and it is kind of unreliable and it does slow the pace of combat down a lot. If every time you're about to get punched in the face, you're like computer handle this. Yeah. I've, I use it most with the Punisher mode just because of that counter. There's also a materia that rewards your blocking by filling your ATB really fast, I think. Mm. And so if you leveled that materia up, it might be a quick way to fill your abilities and then launch into them and not feel like you're waiting forever. Eventually, there's going to be the min-maxers that write all the game fact guides that are like, <laughs> ignore this and only do this one thing the whole time. And I'm like, am I having fun? I guess I'm the most powerful I can be, but is this fun? <laughs> And and I think that's exactly the right way to think about it because all minus the Reno fight, all of the combat has felt like it is amenable to my play style, even though my play style is damn clearly not optimal. No, at no point has the game been like, okay, if you don't learn how to parry, uh, we're going to be really angry with you. And I can think of plenty of games that let me go through most of the game. And then near the end, they're like, oh, did we not mention how important blocking and parrying and counterattacking is? Because <laughs> this boss can only be defeated if you know how to do those things. And I'm like, you just let me play for 45 hours without requiring me to learn this skill. Like, what the hell? And this game, thankfully, does not seem to be doing that. So it's, I feel like there's a, an aspect of the combat system I'm not really engaging with, but it's not, I don't think it's the game's fault. I think it's like my not my fault it's my play style this is the second time i've thought of assassin's creed in our conversation i even know it's the first time i'm mentioning it and when you talked about like because <laughs> i feel like most of the assassin's creed games are like no you wait and you you block and you you hit when we tell you to, like they're very like <laughs> you're so aware of the mechanics and it's like there's six guys surrounding you but one of them's gonna fight you right now and then the next one will and then the next one will and <laughs> Like there's something so weird about the fighting in that game that I think is unpleasant. This fighting system is mostly very pleasant. And part of that may be to do with the fact that you don't have to block unless you want to turn it into your play style. The other time that you made me think of Assassin's Creed, you were describing how clean the mini-map is in this game. And that's a game, it's like, <laughs> here's your scavenger hunt of 700 icons. Get busy. Yeah, I mean... Here's all your homework. <laughs> lots of games have maps with waypoints on them but none so recklessly abuse that concept like the assassin's creed games i like that this game is accommodating my playstyle. i think other playstyles would also be accommodated if i played that way and i have played games where blocking and parrying and countering is fun but it seems like it's a hard thing to design around because Assassin's Creed, which should ostensibly be a game all about like, you know, wicked, awesome stealth kills. The combat sort of sucks ass and that's weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> miserable. Yeah. So I guess I'm not complaining that I haven't been blocking. I was just, I was emotionally preparing myself for you to be like, blocking is really easy. It makes all the combat like way more like realistic and intense. And then I would have felt bad, but I'm, 
I'm glad that's not what happened there. Nah, it's more like there's certain enemies where it's really nice in that single situation, and then I'd ignore it otherwise. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to uh, ask ourselves if this game learned from history? Yes. And yes. <laughs> I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> oh, man. They'll, they don't make movies like that anymore. I know that's cliche, but they literally don't. <laughs> yes, we are. And yes, it did do second you. Um, this is the game that I keep comparing this to every time I have tried to talk to someone about it. And this may sound absurd is Half-Life 3. Because the reason Half-Life 3 doesn't exist is because there's no way it's ever going to live up to the hype that is Half-Life 3. <laughs> And if they do manage to do it, it will be something they write about in like game design textbooks. Like, oh, if you want to deliver on three decades of hype, be Half-Life 3. And until that game exists, I think this is this is that top spot, right? Like when someone says, oh, well, how could it possibly have taken them 25 years to remake this game, just slap a new engine on it, find some voice actors, get the guy who plays Superman and bang, <laughs> bang, boom. You got, you got a fantastic franchise. The story's already there. The music's already there. Everything's already there. You just need high res textures and ship it. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. There's some subtle and dramatic changes to the story. The visuals are not just better. They're unbelievably better. The music is not just, you know, reimagined. It's, as good as your memory nostalgia goggles is for the original music without replacing the original music in your memory, the upgrades to the mechanics make it still feel like a final fantasy, even though it is completely rethought from the ground up all the quality of life enhancements. We talked about like it's this game is a miracle. Like it, it should not, there are plenty of things about it that are annoying or not as good as they could be. But like the fact that this game is even as good as it is feels impossible remarkably good i don't think i can really add to what you said like it's a really good game it's a, if you have any <laughs> bit of nostalgia for the original game you sh you owe it yourself to check it out even if you haven't been gaming um since the late 90s i you know this is the kind of thing that makes you co go out and buy a playstation which is what the original was for me. So there you go. Yeah. No, that I, I literally have that quote in my notes because I've said this to several people and I have heard other people say this is they're like, oh, how, how good could it be? It's like, do you own a PlayStation? No, go buy a PlayStation. Like it's because, you know, the game, if you pay full price is what, six, $60, $59.99 or whatever. Um, so to say this game is worth acquiring $300 hardware for, like oh how good is it is it $60 good no it's $360 good like that's yeah and I know not everybody can spend that kind of money like I understand it's like oh just you know don't buy groceries this week and go buy a PlayStation but if you have the means by which to play this game I think you should I think you should dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll, then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress, 
down the hall to your bed. A few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land, battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand. Your memories creep in with the edge of a smile. You realize again what you lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less on how you saved the day. 